What I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. And we have before us tonight just another wonderful text from God's Word. This is a very hopeful passage. And well, there should be many scriptures that are in the Word of God that would give us hope as Christians. We live in a world that's, of course, very evil. Uh, Evil is the enemy of God, and anything that's the enemy of God is also going to be the enemy of God's people. And we've been talking about the tribulation period, and the tribulation period is one of the worst times that this world is ever going to see. Uh, in fact, I think it is the worst of all times. Uh, at that time, Satan is going to be cast to the earth, and he'll be confined here with very little restraint. He'll be able to do just about anything that he wants to do. Uh, back from the very beginning almost, Satan has been known as the god of this world. But all throughout human history, Satan's kingdoms have been fragmented. He hasn't had complete control or consolidated control of all things all at one time so that it works together. But the time of the tribulation is going to be much different from that because then all of the world's kingdoms will be consolidated under the power of the Antichrist. And that is really going to be just a terrible time for Christian people. And as As we read through the book of Revelation, the fear and dread of that time just keeps building and building and building in each of these scriptures until it comes to the place that we almost feel that we have no hope. And that's why we have passages scattered throughout the book like the one that we're going to read tonight. And that's to show us that God still is in control. Everything happens uh, by his will and the final outcome is never in doubt. And I think that we do need to be reminded of that, especially right now. Uh, We're living in a time where there is a a lot of malaise in our country. And I think that some of us here tonight feel that, uh, maybe some more than others. And although we may not be facing death, yet there are Christian people who are facing troubling times like economic disasters in their own families, financial disasters. And Satan will use just about anything that he can to tear down God's people. And he'll try every method that he possibly can to try to stop the advance of God's kingdom. And uh, so we need to be aware of this, that God is in control. God, God is watching over us. But if I were to ask you tonight, what is the very worst that could happen to you? Most of you probably wouldn't think about the economy. Instead, you would think about something else. And you may not say, well, I'm not rich, and I may not have everything that I want, but at least I am alive. And I read this recently in the newspaper about the earthquake in Haiti, that some of those people, that even though that great disaster occurred there, yet they said, well, the worst hasn't happened to us because we still have hope because we are alive. And so we think that the worst that could happen to us is death. And this text shows us that for God's people, death is not the worst that could happen to us. In fact, death is really a blessed event. Now, we're going to talk about that some tonight and some later messages as well. But if you look at Revelation chapter 14 and stand with me just for the reading of a couple of verses here, we're looking at verses uh, 12 and 13 of the 14th chapter where the Word of God says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works 
do follow them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity again to preach your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would open up this subject, very important subject to us about death. It's something that we do need to know about. And Lord, we just thank you that you've given us an understanding that we really, as your people, don't need to fear the day of our death. Bless in this message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In studying the scriptures, it's always very important that we get the context of what is spoken. And the context here is, of course, the time of tribulation. And the death that's spoken of is the death of those who die as martyrs under the evil regime of the Antichrist. And the context here is really a contrast, and it's the difference between the kind of death that those who die that don't know the Lord and those who do. Those who are following the Antichrist have a very much different death than those who are following the Christ. Now, if you'd look up the page, just a few verses there, to verse number 9 of the 14th chapter, here we find the result of following the Antichrist. It says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Death is a constant companion all throughout the time of the tribulation. And the outcome of death is very different for two different types of people. And the distinction is made here between those two types. The Bible says that those who die in the Lord are blessed. And there is an, uh, a, a, just a, uh, an undeniable implication in that statement that those who don't die in the Lord are not blessed. Now, it's always been true that spiritually there are two different types of people in the world. And the differentiation between those two was declared all the way back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when God said that he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so there are two types of people that have been identified from the very beginning. These are the seed of the woman, and those are those who are the elect of God, and of course Jesus Christ himself, and those who are the reprobate, the seed of the woman, seed of the devil. And sometimes as we uh, go through life and we are here in church, for instance, that it's very hard for us to tell the difference between those two groups. Uh, Sometimes people that don't know the Lord act like Christians, and sometimes Christians that do know the Lord don't act like Christians. And so Jesus said that what we're to do is to let the tares grow with the wheat. We're not to try to separate separate those out at this time because we simply don't always know the difference between the two. But there is coming a time when the Bible says that God is going to reap the earth and he will separate these two very different types of people. And we'll get more into that as we get down to the 15th verse in this 14th chapter. So it's hard sometimes for us to tell the difference, but when the tribulation time comes, there is going to be a very clear difference between these two types of people. Now that's because the seed of the serpent, as we've studied, are going to carry his mark. 
These people will receive the mark of the beast, and those are the ones that find no hope in death. And so they suffer God's wrath, and they're going to wake up in the fires of hell, and they will be tormented forever and ever in their sins. And the redeemed of the Lord wake up in a very much different world when when they die, because the Scripture says their deaths are blessed. Now this evening, the title of the message is The Beatitude of Death. And from our study in the Sermon on the Mount, I hope that you remember and you recognize that the word beatitude means blessed. Beatitude is a blessing. And the text says that those who die in the Lord are blessed. Now, we usually don't think of death as being a blessing. But for God's people, when they die in the Lord, the Word of God says, surely it is a blessing. Now, I do want to point out again... Now, we are very concerned about the context. The context of the Scripture is the time of tribulation. And the death here that it's speaking of is the death of the tribulation saints. But here's one place in the Bible that for sure we do know this, that we can extend the context of what's written here to say that all people who know the Lord and die in the Lord are certainly blessed. And so all Christians of all ages, when they die, are blessed in the Lord. And that's why sometimes we do take these particular verses out of their context. And you'll hear me say it sometimes or other preachers in a a funeral service. They'll pull out these two particular verses out of uh, Revelation chapter 14 out of context in in the context that it's written and say that a person who has died has been blessed in the Lord. Well, we can do that because we know it's a true statement for every single person who knows the Lord. So we're going to spend uh, three weeks talking about death. And uh, that might seem a little bit unusual to you that I want to spend so much time on the subject. But as I got into this and I began to look at it, I just felt like it's such an important subject. And, and it's one that really blessed my heart to be able to look into this and think about the deaths of those who know the Lord. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on the subject. Now I want you to notice, first of all tonight, the sting of death. Death is not a pleasant subject. And you would think me morbid if every time that I got up into the pulpit that this is the thing I like to talk about. That I just love to talk about death. Most of us don't want to talk about death. In fact, we put death far back into the back of our minds. And probably the last thing that we ever want to think about is the day that we're going to die. And one of the most difficult aspects that you have of actually giving a gospel presentation to someone is that uh, you have to get people thinking about death before you can ever get them to think about their lives and the change that they need to make in their lives, you have to get them to think about death. And people just don't want to think about it. And most people have the idea that death is so far off into the future that it's way away somewhere, and actually it may never even happen to me. Now, we know it is, but we live that way. We don't want to talk about it, and we put it way back back there, someplace that actually may not ever happen. Why is that so difficult? Why is death so difficult to think about? Well, it is because death is defeat. Death is an enemy. Death is the conquering of life. And we hold to fight or fight to hold on to life. I mean, even if you're a Christian and you do know that you're going to go to heaven when you die, you're not anxious for death to come and take you. You know, I'm reminded of a story about a preacher who is speaking about heaven. And he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And just about everybody in the congregation raised their hands. Then he said, how many of you don't want to go to heaven? And there was one little boy that raised his hand. And the preacher said, well, son, what do you mean? You don't want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, oh, when you die, sure I do. I thought you meant you were getting up a busload right now. 
So you see, we, we really don't want to think about death. And we, we do know that we're going to go to heaven when we die if you're a Christian, but you're not anxious. You don't, you don't want death to come knocking on your door tonight, even though you know that you're going to go to heaven. You know, many times I have talked with people who have loved ones and they're dying of cancer and they have uh, perhaps some other terminal illness and that may have lingered for months. And then when that person dies, the family will say to me, well, they just gave up. They, they just decided that they didn't want to fight any longer and so they gave up. And you see, the family then has put death in terms of defeat. There's that struggle that goes on, and we fight against it, and then when it finally comes, life has been defeated, and death wins. I remember when my father uh, was dying of heart disease, and he'd already had triple, or uh, excuse me, not triple, but um, uh, five bypasses uh, in, in, uh, on his heart, uh, in his vascular system, twice within 10 years. He had those five bypasses. And I remember when he was in the hospital for the last time that the doctor came in and he said, well, we have one more thing that we might be able to do. He said, we can try the bypass surgery again. And my father at that point could no longer talk and tears came into his eyes and he just shook his head and he said, no. Now, you see, he'd given up. He was ready to go. He'd done everything that he could after that point to try to stay alive. But now he just didn't want to fight anymore. And death was about to win. And so that's why there is the struggle. Death is defeat. And God has put this instinct into us that we want to survive. And if that weren't true, the prospects of heaven would be so great for us that what we would do is we would immediately, upon trusting Christ as Savior, we would write a suicide note, and then we'd kill ourselves. Because thoughts of spiritual life and being in heaven are so great that that would overcome all the good things that could possibly come out of this life, and then even to think of the bad things that take place in life. So if we didn't have that instinct within us that we struggle against death, that we don't want to die then we would, uh, of course, try to check out of this life as soon as we could. And there are many people, uh, of course, who don't know the Lord, and death is such a great enemy for them that they die without hope. They, they, They don't know anything about the resurrection, and so they scheme and they try to figure out ways that they can defeat death or that they can actually, after they die, come back to life. And sometimes people will try some very bizarre things to try and make that happen. You've probably heard about uh, the great baseball player, Ted Williams, that he instructed before he died that they should freeze his head. And he was hoping that somehow that technology would advance and they'd be able to take his head and they would take the DNA and they would be able to actually grow another body to put with his head and then he could come back to life. Years ago... Uh, If you've studied history, you know about the explorer Ponce de Leon who came to the New World looking uh, for for life. And he'd heard about this supposed uh, fountain of youth, the legends about that. And so he was the first one to step foot in Florida in the 16th century. And he was looking for a fountain of life, some kind of magical fountain that some way would help him stave off the defeat of death. Now, these are people who really don't understand Revelation 14, 13. They don't think that there's any blessing in death. They don't want death because death is the ultimate defeat. And so they would deny the words of the Apostle Paul who mocked death. Paul said, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Paul wasn't afraid of death. But there are those who hope against hope and and, uh, they try to defeat death. But they do know that the grave is going to eventually win. The grave will have its victory 
and they really don't have any hope of defeating it. Well, why then, again, do people that don't know Christ fight so strenuously against the inevitable? Well, I believe it's because they fear what comes after death. To them, death is an unknown. They're not sure about their soul. Uh, they don't know what's going to happen to them. And even the atheist that, that says there is no God and who says there is no life after death, he doesn't leave the world peaceably. Voltaire, who was a French writer and philosopher in the 18th century, would often go on these diatribes against Christianity. He openly cursed Christ. And Voltaire said, uh, before he died, he said that within 20 years, the power of his pen would defeat Christianity and Christianity would go out of existence. But on the day that he died, his nurse that attended him said, for all the wealth in Europe, I would never see another infidel die. You see, Voltaire, when he was dying, began to plead for on his deathbed. And he told his physician, he said, I have been abandoned by God and by man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you can just give me six more months of life. Now, Voltaire died without faith, and he struggled against death because he did know what was coming. And I think that's why people try to hold on so long. I've seen uh, cancer patients that, that are in the last hours of their lives and they come very restless. They're up and down in the bed and they turn over and over again if they can and they twist and they writhe. And it's all because death begins to rack the brain and there's this fight for life and the body simply does not want to surrender to death. But death does eventually come. I also heard the story of a man who was an atheist and hated God and he'd raised his family to live that way. And when the time for his death came, he was struggling against it. And he began to think about what he believed. And he, and he saw how miserable that it was really to have nothing to believe in. And so he began to question his principles. And he began to see how foolishly that he'd lived his life. And so as he was dying, his son noticed how his father was so upset and how he was shaken at it. And this son who was raised an atheist and still lived in that way, he tried to encourage his father. And he said to him, Father, be a man. He said, he said stick to it. And his father replied, I'm afraid there's nothing to stick to. And so that's the great contrast that's revealed here in this passage. The context here is tribulation, and nearly the entire world is open and, and open and determined defiance against God. And the end result of death is that when it comes, as it surely will, there's absolutely nothing to be gained in death. And far better it would be that a man would die as a dog than to die this way. But man knows, it's built into him to know that it doesn't happen that way. And so even though he may deny God in his life, death is feared and death does bring its horror. Now men will often live as if they are the master of their fate. And you talk about people who, who say how they are in control of their lives and all they are is deluding themselves with all kinds of false hopes throughout their entire lives because when the day of death comes, that's when they realize they have no control. There's nothing that they can do, so they have no hope. Death has defeated them. And that's why it's so dreaded. Well, what is the stinger in death? Well, it's a little three-letter word that's the universal disease that plagues mankind. Sin is its sword. Sin is the sword of death. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin, and the sword of sin is wielded in the hands of the law. Now, why is there death then? Well, there's death because sin is the transgression of God's law. 
If there were no sin, there wouldn't be any death because where there is no transgression, there is no penalty. William, William MacDonald says, The throne of death rests on two bases, sin which calls for condemnation and the law which pronounces it. Now there then is the difference between the two types of people. Those who receive the mark of the beast in, in this scripture are the transgressors. And, and the guilt of their sin enforces death and all the consequences that come with it. And this is the key to it all. Death would not be feared if there were no consequences. Now, if we didn't have verses 10 and 11, verse number 13 would still be true, but the contrast between the two wouldn't be as vivid. But there are consequences. And the child of God who dies in the faith that is most wonderfully blessed, he's blessed because he knows that he has been delivered from all the consequences. Christ's death has satisfied the penalty that was imposed by the law. And so Christians understand that. And they know that the penalty has been removed from them. And so they die with this sure hope that they have God's promise. They've been cleansed from all of their sins. And they go to be with God. And so their death is blessed. But the sense of the penalty doesn't... And the understanding of sin also does not go unnoticed in, the, in those that aren't saved. The consequences of sin don't go unnoticed in those who aren't believers. Now, they may not know the correct way to deal with sin. They may not understand how to mitigate the penalty of sin. But they do know this, and they understand it very well, that sin will be punished. Evil will be punished. And that's why you can talk to a hundred people and you ask them, do you believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And almost always the answer that you get is, I hope so. And what is the basis for their hope? Well, their basis is that they think that they've done enough good and somehow the balances will be swayed in their favor and so that when God sorts everything out, he'll take in consideration that they really weren't bad people after all. They did some pretty good things and they don't really deserve to be punished. And so no matter where you go on the planet, people know that death is inevitable. God has written it on man's heart to know that. Uh, he knows the evil of the consequences of sin. And so people spend their lives trying to mitigate those consequences. I mean, even the man who's in the, the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa or South America or Borneo, he dies believing in his God and hoping that his God has seen enough good in him that when he dies, he'll take him to a place that's better than he has in this life. Hindus also wonder about this. I mean, they have a completely different idea about God altogether. And they believe that or hope that their lives are lived well enough so that when they are reincarnated, that they'll come back on a higher level and eventually through many deaths that they finally reach nirvana. So it really doesn't matter what religion that you're talking about. Man just naturally knows this if there is a consequence for sin. Sin is the sword that wounds to death. And all of us know that. And that's why those who die in the Lord are blessed. They've heard the everlasting gospel of Christ. They've been called out by the Holy Spirit. They have believed to the saving of their souls. And so they die in this blessed state without any fear because they know that sin's penalty has been satisfied. Now there's the very reason that Paul mocks death in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death has been removed. And so death doesn't win. Death is actually conquered. Do we die? Well, of course we die, but we die with hope in Christ that we won't stay dead. Now, you look at uh, what it's done for the millions of martyrs who we read about here in the book of Revelation. They died for the cause of Christ. And where are they? Are they still in the grave or are they in hell? Well, we know that they aren't. So where are they? 
Well, we're actually told in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, And when he had opened the sixth seal, or the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 14 is the fellow servants. These are the ones that are killed during the rest of the tribulation, and they're going to go to the place where all previous martyrs have gone. When Stephen, uh, the first Christian martyr, was stoned, he was about to die, and he looked up into heaven as they were beating the life out of him. And we read in the book of Acts, chapter 7, it says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, or Stephen was calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now we're going to deal with that word asleep in a later message and how the Bible uses that to picture death. But here you see that his spirit was received. The Lord Jesus had turned that awful death into something that was precious. His soul was taken into heaven. And so we, do we stay dead? Has, has death really defeated us? And the answer is no, because we have a promise that our souls will be taken by God and then our bodies will be raised. And that hope is anchored in the resurrection of Christ. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me finish this part of the message with this third point that I'd like to make, which is the righteous will reign. The contrast between these two groups that have been stung by death is differentiated by their reign. Now, remember in our study of this that the Antichrist receives his power with great fanfare. I mean, he comes in and he promises a kingdom that will uh, take care of all ills. He comes with an economic plan and with a religious plan. And his promise is that he is going to establish a kingdom that will last. He really believes that his kingdom will be that, that lasting kingdom. And he promises that his kingdom will conquer all these pesky Christians and that he'll actually overcome the God that they serve. Now, as we looked at this last week, we, we saw that his kingdom is Babylon. And I'm sure that he's going to convincingly sell this idea that one world government is best. He says, well, it's better after all that you should put all of your eggs into his basket. And that he is going to, his kingdom is actually going to hatch success like the world has never seen before. And it seems like that's true. And the same lies, of course, are told to us today. Uh, we're made to believe that one world government would be best for us, and we're told that the United Nations can resolve all of our ills and will bring peace to the world. Well, this kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be like all the ones that are before it because sin has never guaranteed anyone's success. All world leaders eventually die, and the same happens to this man. Death claims us all. Well, the difference between these two groups is that death ends the Antichrist's kingdom. Uh, he has 
believe that killing Christians will end all hope that the righteous kingdom of God will ever be established on the earth. And by reading this and and following the story along, we would have to admit that the picture really does look bleak. And if we don't have verse number 13 inserted into the text, it looks like the Antichrist might be right. Now, here are Christians that have been trying to hold out. I mean, they had the promise from God that the kingdom is coming, that Christ is going to establish a kingdom on the earth. And as I said in an earlier lesson, it may be that the 144,000 that are chosen out by God, they might indeed be preserved alive, and they'll go into the kingdom when Christ establishes it. But there are millions of people that are one under their witness, and they don't go into the kingdom of life. They will die. They will be persecuted. They will be uh, terribly put to death under the hands of the Antichrist. And so here are these people that have been trying to hold out. They're remaining faithful. And it may look like that when they're put to death, that after all their steadfast determination, and after all the faith that they've had, after all the energy that they put into it, after trying to serve God, it looks like for them all is lost. But is that really the case? Well, it's not. Because the 144,000 may transition into Christ's kingdom alive, but it doesn't mean that those who die knowing the Lord will not also have their part. Now, in one sense, their deaths are no different than those that were, uh, died many years before this and those that were raptured at the coming of Christ, and no different from millions of believers that died in all the ages past. Because when the Lord establishes his kingdom and he reigns upon the throne of David, all of the saints are coming with them coming with him. Now we have this verse in, in Jude, in Jude chapter, or in Jude that chapter verses 14 and 15, says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now, that takes us back all the way time, back to the time of Enoch. And Enoch actually lived before the flood. And the Word of God says here that all of the saints, all of the redeemed, are coming to reign with Christ in his kingdom. And so these people are blessed by death. There is no disappointment in their death. Now, we go back and we read our verse again, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, we're going to talk more about this next time. God doesn't forget all of the hardships that these people have been through. And through all of their duress, that, uh, and it's worse than the world has ever seen before, these are people that keep the faith and they will not receive the mark of the beast. And God says, they will be blessed. Now, this is really just a wonderful passage. And the Word of God puts this here not just for them, but also puts it here for us. It was there for the people in the time of John. It's there for people in our day. And for all these saints that are going to be martyred during the tribulation period, this is a passage of hope for them. So we're all going to reign with Christ. Our deaths are blessed when we die in the Lord. And every one of us here tonight, we can also claim the promise that God has given here in this particular chapter. Well, I really don't have time to go into anything more tonight. I originally planned that I would just 
cover these two verses in one sermon, but there's so much that are, that's packed into this that we really have to take more time with this. Uh, there's some more great doctrine in verse number 12 that I haven't even mentioned yet, haven't touched on it, and then there's still some more in verse number 13 that we seriously need to talk about. Uh, there are a lot of people that are just simply mixed up about what happens when you die. Now, Catholics uh, teach that uh, a doctrine of purgatory and we know that that's not right. Uh, some have taught that, that heaven is not immediate for those who die. In other words, when you die, you don't immediately go into the presence of Lord, that there's souls sleeping and those kinds of things. There are some who have taught that before Christ was crucified, that the dead believers were actually kept out of heaven, and they were kept into some kind of a holding place until Christ came and delivered them. Well, we're going to get into all those kinds of questions. And the next message, we're going to look into some more of this very strange beatitude. And maybe you can't see how this is possible. I mean, how could anybody say, blessed are those who die? But this is a beatitude, just like blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the poor in spirit. All of those beatitudes that we read in Matthew chapter 5. You could add this one to it if you wanted to. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And that is really a wonderful promise that God has given to every one of us in here tonight who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time that we can think about this. And Lord, sometimes we do want to put death far off into the future and act as if it's never going to come. But we know that we don't have to worry about the day that death comes to us because if we know you as Savior, we are truly blessed You have something that's waiting for us. All of our sins have been forgiven. And so we die with this blessed hope that we will be with the Lord. Lord, I do hope that you encourage your people with this. Things are bad today. There's, There's a lot of malaise in our country today. But for those of us who know the Lord, we do know that there is a better time coming. And we're looking for that time where we can be with the Lord Jesus. Bless us in this time that we sing tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we sing.